Good evening. It's the history of the Tottenham. I'm sorry it didn't cost 55 million, so it cannot be good. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Some of the passing is fucking scratching. We are in Champions League, man. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. Sit down! Sit down! He's 24 years old. For me, if he's not got it now, when is he going to get it? And I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. 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 Hey guys, welcome back to the Armchair Managers podcast, where we cover all things Premier League, uh, Champions League and transfers in and around the football world from fans giving their global perspective from various different countries. Today, joining myself, Z, and Siba are two guests. One who you've already uh, listened to prior, our resident Sevilla fan, Jeed. Uh, you can find Jeed on social media, on Instagram at, at Jeed90, as well as Twitter at Jeed Says. Uh, joining Jeed is my dear childhood best friend and a fellow Man United fan, as well as a follower of Celtic in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, Ray who you can also find on Twitter and Instagram. Both those handles will be at, at N underscore Ray underscore. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Pretty good, man. It's been a very eventful week of European action to conclude uh, the 2019-20 season. Uh, let's start off with the Europa League final. Looks like the podcast curse continued and a lot of people who backed Inter Milan to come out as the top team didn't get what they expected. Jeed, your thoughts on that historic final for Sevilla? Honestly, uh, I think a lot of people were sleeping on Sevilla. They didn't realize that uh, you know La Liga is not as easy as it seems. And I was pretty confident going into the game. I knew Inter was going to be a big challenge, but you know I I didn't think that we were outclassed uh, before going into the game. And definitely the way we played. Uh, I feel we deserved it 100%. Uh, throughout the season, we've been fantastic, especially the last 21 games. Uh, and I'm actually looking forward to beating, uh, to meeting and beating, hopefully, Bayern in the Super Cup. <laughs> that will, that's going to be an exciting Super Cup tie, definitely. Um, did you feel at any point that the match was perhaps slipping out of Sevilla's hand? I know with the early penalty, once again, similarly to the game against Man United, you guys conceded a penalty early, uh, early in the game, uh, which Lukaku put away expertly. Did you feel there was a chance that this might not be your day? I know it must have been a tense final for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I was sweating bullets the whole game. I mean, up until the, the last second of the match, I was just sweating nervous and, and worried about any moment just going wrong. Look, Diego Carlos, uh, as much as I love him, this, this season he played amazingly. But the last three games gave away three penalties. And it's just the, the lack of experience. That Lukaku penalty shouldn't have been a penalty. He should have brought him down way before he got into the box. He had no business letting him go that far in. But uh, was I worried that we weren't be able to come back? Uh, not really. I, I, I knew that we had um, the attacking capability to score once, twice, three times. Uh, but definitely it put me on edge when we conceded the penalty in the first few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, once we scored the second goal, I, not to say that I knew we'd win. I obviously didn't know anything, but uh, I, I was a little bit more comfortable in 
and how the team was was controlling the match. Yeah, no, I, I think I especially was quite confident that Sevilla would keep the ball rather well and into would kind of go about being destructive in the midfield and sitting back and countering with the pace and the forwards they have and like the power of Romelu Lukaku as well as the creativity of Martinez. But um, did you at any point feel that it was questionable with the selection of uh, Luke de Jong starting from the very uh, beginning? I know he scored the crucial goal against United in the semifinal, but did you, did you have any question marks over the selection of him from the very beginning or uh, was that expected? No, 100%. Uh, that actually was my biggest surprise before the match started. And I saw Luke de Jong up front. I'm like, well, either this is going to be a genius move or it's going to prove that, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just incapable of, uh, of the finishing again. Like, Luke de Jong has only scored, I think, eight goals in all competitions this season. And that for a striker, that is definitely not uh, a good number that you want to hold up. But uh, honestly, of those eight goals, you can look look back at where he scored them and when he scored them. You know, you're looking at Inter twice, Manchester United, uh, Real Madrid twice. Like he's only scored in these important big games. So I was, yeah, I was worried that uh, you know he was replacing Masidi up front. But honestly, once he scored the first goal, I stopped caring. I was like, you know what, this team can do it. We can go all the way. Because fascinating as an as an, sorry just to cut in it's fascinating as as an outsider watching Sevilla play and then I looked it up and like he has a habit of coming into form Luke De Jong at critical times in seasons doesn't he and he it just it happened again this season yeah hundred percent I mean I, I wasn't a I didn't know much of him before coming to Sevilla I I'd never watched any uh, I think he played for FC Twenty. Uh, or PSV, and I've never really watched the Dutch league. I know he played for Newcastle before. It was Newcastle, yeah. Southampton. He made 12 appearances and scored no goals for Newcastle. Yeah, so you an know, outstanding, I'm, an outstanding stat. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's actually a joke of what we call him. Uh, there's a an Arab Sevilla group, and we call him the the Dutch giraffe because he's tall but he doesn't do much. <laughs> so we we were really worried that he just like. From the beginning of the season, he was missing like golden opportunities. But all of a sudden, in the last few games and in the important matches, he was just showing up and scoring and controlling the game and just putting on amazing, amazing uh, displays of football. An apology going out to any giraffes that may be listening. Um, no <laughs> offense, man. Yes, we, we're always inclusive, even to footballing giraffes on the podcast. Uh, Jade, one more thing. The two goals he scored... It's similar to the positioning that you know he kind of started picking up in in relation to his awareness of space, uh, especially with the crucial goal against United, where he kind of slipped and drifted between the center halves with like very slight uh, diagonal movements. Um, it looks very simple, it looks obvious, but he seems to make it look easy, and it's not really as easy as he makes it seem. Do you think that is a big, con a big contributing factor as to why he gets these crucial goals when it does matter? A hundred percent. I mean, look, Lopetegui has really mastered uh, the whole team and he's been able to kind of instill confidence in these players. And if you look at the two goals, that with the set pieces that we've gotten, they were just amazing uh, strategy 
and just going in, really hitting that right spot. Um, Banega making those amazing assists, uh, and Luke Dion finding the space. I mean, that that wasn't his strength coming into the coming into the team, but right. he's he's found it in the last few games, and uh, hopefully next season he can continue uh, with those awesome plays and and that uh, that nice movement. Which is so interesting to see uh, in both the Inter side as well as the Sevilla side. You've got former players from in and around the Premier League and other leagues across Europe who are just almost kind of reborn and and kind of reimagining their careers at these new clubs and 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 doing so whilst also earning themselves places in finals and like Sevilla did, getting a final, uh, winning the final. And I thought it was a touch of class uh, the way you guys dedicated the win to uh, your late great players. And of course, Jose Antonio Reyes. And uh, who was the other player, G? Uh, it was Antonio Puerta. He was uh, one of our great uh, right backs back in 2007. He actually passed away while playing a match. And uh, All right, yes. a big part of uh, the Sevilla culture is uh, on the 16th minute. We all clap for one whole minute, and it's like a, a big part of the Sevilla culture. So definitely, when we looked at uh, Navas and Banega, the two, number six, uh, 16 and number 10, uh, mm-hmm. they kind of embodied that, uh, and even the positions they played. You know, Banega also plays where Reyes uh, generally played, and yeah. uh, Navas plays where Puerta played. So we took that as this uh, you know, kind of winning in their honor. That's beautiful. I love that. That just reminds you how how it's so much more than just a game. And it's, it's just such an honorable way to kind of celebrate that final victory. And a record six time, a record six time. You guys can do that whole Scouse song of talking about six, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the first thing I thought of after that. I was like, I felt like Jurgen Klopp at this point. <laughs> no, Scouse and now, of course, Bayern as well. Yeah, of course, Bayern as well with the record sixth European trophy. Speaking of which, um, let's stay focused a little bit on Inter because, Rashik, I know you wanted to kind of mention the fact that, of course, there are several former Premier League players, of which three played for Man United not too long ago. What did you make of the performances of Ashley Young, Alexis Sanchez briefly, as well as your main man, Romelu Lukaku? I think... It's slightly painful because watching Ashley Young, you're reminded of like kind of his highlights reel at Man United, really. Um, he has played, I think, over the last few weeks, particularly with just such consistency. And he's really become like a core member of the team, mm-hmm. which I, if Zahran, you'll remember with, um, with his armband on, he, he did every now and again for United as well. But uh, he, I thought he had a, like he had sparks in the final, but I thought Sevilla handled him quite well, kept him out of the game. Yeah, Alexis Sanchez was hilarious as always. Came <laughs> in, ran, like ran, just just ran lots. Didn't really do much else. He he tried. He got into positions and then like just I don't know what it is. Usually when you have players with such a like a low center of gravity kind of a weight and a shifty and like paciness to them, they can stay on the ball. He, he just can't like, I don't, I don't know what's happened to him since um, I, I assume it's just, he's, he's, he's not really in form as, as he was once. And then of course, big man Rome, 
Um, Rom comes <laughs> in with the the fantastic, honorable, um, I- iconic tribute to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in 1999 with his uh, last minute, well, not as last minute, I suppose, not literally last minute, but, you know, like end of the game, game winner, which was incredible. Yeah. I was like, this, what a tribute to one of the greatest goals in European history. Yeah, you have to say. The uh, third unfortunately, goal, it was at the wrong end, but. Yeah. Uh, he actually became the first player in European football history to score for both sides in a final. That's insane. Uh, and what a thing to be remembered for. <laughs> it's a shame because he's, he's had a remarkable season. Like, in fairness to him, I think he equaled uh, Ronaldo's all-time, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, his, his all-time record at Inter for 34 goals in his debut season. Uh, yeah, Sib, what do, what do you make of that? Um, his goal record as well as his performance in the final on both ends of the pitch. Lukaku? Mm-hmm. And you know I didn't watch that game. <laughs> I didn't honestly. I, I didn't have time, but I, I did. I watched the highlights. I saw. I saw the goal you're talking about, and uh, I mean it's Lukaku-esque. That's all I'm gonna call it. Really, uh, it's it's probably enough for Conte to now reconsider his uh, his tenure at Inter Milan and be looking at jobs elsewhere. <laughs> so I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> that is yeah, was... uh, a, a cynical take, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> No, I mean, but but he's not wrong, you know, because uh, Conte was quoted as saying he's not he's not entirely certain if he's going to remain at Inter Milan next season. We killed Isn't his confidence. That what you say to get a better contract, though. <laughs> G G just said uh, we killed Conte. Jeed, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know if uh, how intently uh, the coverage uh, you were watching was focused in on uh, stuff happening off the pitch, but did you catch the uh, exchange of words between Eva Baniga and uh, Antonio Conte? Of course I did. It's Banega. Banega always does this. <laughs> Such a it shit. It's, it's, it's so typical of the Argentine players, isn't it? A hundred percent, and especially Banega. You know, Banega grew up in, like, in a ghetto, and he had a life of crime before coming to, Civ- or before coming to Valencia earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, that kind of guy. And he came in. I, I knew if there was going to be any kind of uh, brawl in the match, it would be who caused it. Uh, I had a friend who speaks both Italian and Spanish who, who said, based on his uh, you know, dodgy lip reading, what Eva Benega basically was saying to Conte was, why don't you come closer so I can see how real that wig is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, the, the Spanish media just covered that and they were, you know, it's, it's just typical Benega. It's, it's something that we'll miss a lot. I mean, I don't think he's going to be doing that in Saudi a lot, but... Uh, yeah. Is he going to Al-Shabaab? Is that... Yeah, he's joining Al-Shabaab. Uh, I mean, okay. last, last, his last game was uh, on Friday with Sevilla, and starting next season, he'll be with Al-Shabaab. How, how old is he at the moment, Jeed? Benega? He's 33 years old, so he's not, you know, he's not at the end of his career. I definitely would have given him another couple of years at Sevilla, if not three mm-hmm. years. Uh, but, I mean, you know, money comes, and uh, Saudi comes knocking on your door. I remember yeah. Emery wanted me at Arsenal. Yeah, who didn't Emery Did want at Arsenal? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm just saying, if Saudi comes knocking at my door, I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Newcastle would do very much the opposite. To, uh, <laughs> commiserations to any Geordies listening. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a final full of incident, uh, which obviously Sibba has been quiet on because he didn't watch the game. 
far too busy to watch the Europa League final. That uh, Zippa, what kind of football fan do you call yourself? I saw it up in the highlights. Okay, typical Arsenal fan. Yeah, yeah typical Arsenal fan. They they do all their football watching on YouTube. Listen, man, I, I'm just I'm just happy that like this season has finally come to an end tonight with the Champions League final, which let's jump into by the way. So PSG playing Bayern Munich, one nil to Bayern. Their sixth Champions League. What did you guys make of the game? To be honest, uh, PSG were were shit. I can just say that. Uh, first half they played well, but second half this this was not a Champions League team, honestly. Like I mean, the, they started well the, the first half, I'd say. Like, they created many chances, but, I mean, I have to agree with you that PSG deserves to lose this game, this final. They were so wasteful. Man. They were so wasteful in that, that final third. Like, Mbappe's missed two clear-cut chances. Di Maria, Neymar, like, moting when he came on. You've had enough chances to, you know, put the game away or, or at least get back into the game. And just... Completely wasteful shots directly at Neuer, and he's gonna grab it easily, you know. And Kingsley Coleman, who's been like had a quiet season, uh, who is actually I think considering retiring because of his injury woes uh, over his time at Bayern, uh, scores his eighth goal of the season, which is the winner against his former club. Yeah, which I believe is the first time that's ever happened in the Champions in a European final. Really, what well, uh, a player not. scoring against his former club. Yeah, I think so. Let me... Da, 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 da. Yeah, in the European Cup final. First uh, ever. And also the crucial telling goal that decided the fate of the final ultimately as well. Uh, exactly. I thought... I thought, I mean, I thought yeah. Take, by the way, what a take. Yeah. I mean, the ball, the ball in from Kimmich as well was brilliant. I thought it was just so perfectly measured and into the perfect area. And that's not something we're seeing for the first time from the Spiron team. I think... They're just such a well-oiled machine, as I've said before, and they they executed their plan wonderfully. And they didn't really ever look under too much pressure, did they? They never seemed truly tested, particularly in the second half, I would say. Um, I'd say Davies was getting tested a bit. I mean, his inexperience kind of showed. No, that uh, was just a battle, battle of nutmegs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he got skinned quite a few times. Yeah, but other than, I mean, he's mm. getting skinned, but then he's making up the ground and you know, nothing's, nothing's getting past him, right? So I think all in all, like, pride aside, I think he did his job quite well for a 19-year-old Canadian. Yeah. The oh, first and also, Canadian uh, to win a Champions League. Funny thing <laughs> I, I just read about uh, after the game was apparently Barcelona now have to pay Liverpool five million. Yes, five million. Because won the Champions League, which is a clause yep. in his contract. Yes. Mate, he didn't just win the Champions League, he won the treble. <laughs> yeah, and we were talking about uh, their manager, Flick, as well, right? So he was, uh, I think, Z, you mentioned he was assistant manager at uh, the German national team before. Yeah, under, he was. Uh, Joachim Love. And he's taken over from Niko Kovac in a season where Bayern looked really, really to be struggling, losing 5-1 to Frankfurt at one point. And as you've said, they've gone to win the treble. Like, what a fantastic job he's done. It's a, it's a massive, massive turnaround uh, for someone who hasn't had, you know, the most illustrious managerial career. He has been an assistant at the German national team. Well, was an assistant at the German national team from I think, 2006 to 2014 before he just performed various other coaching jobs and then got this Bayern job in 
2019. So yeah, just midway almost through this season. And I mean, it's it's the Bundesliga and Bayern with the squad they have and the dominance they have on and off the pitch in Germany. They're expected to kind of have the formality similar to Juventus in recent years of winning their league title. But the fact that they went from a 5-1 defeat, sacking a manager, bringing in Flick, to then go on to win the treble, uh, during which they also beat Barcelona 8-2 in one single leg. Quite exceptional. I think they're definitely, without a doubt, the best team in Europe at the moment, if not the world. Well, and, and they won every single Champions League match. Like, from the final. Like, what, what is that? Yeah, it's... It's it's a FM20 hack or a FIFA hack. <laughs> 11 and 0. It's astonishing like you said he joined just uh, halfway through the season. Um 21 games. 21 games to go from 4th in their league and a 5-1 loss to champions of absolutely everything. Yeah. It's unheard of. Like it I was I was um, I think we were talking earlier just on the chat the chat room and um i was joking that you know just to be a sort of antagonist i was going to say that psg you know they're going to win it but this team isn't just isn't up for losing right now you know the yeah. squad they have they have the depth there also like players that are leaving this season some some players i mean um tiago is said to be leaving at the end of the season so we'll see what happens with regards to other players coming in or whatnot but to turn it around in 21 games, go 11-0 and 0 in the Champions League, not just any tournament, and to win it in the style that they have, comfortably, without really breaking too much of a sweat, I would say. It's just so impressive. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that next year. I think it kind of ties into the point that we made in our previous episode with Jeed in, in relation to the foundation of a football club as uh, an establishment as 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 a kind of working business model, and I think Bayern um, are a club that have really always kind of strived to get the model off the pitch so well sorted that things take care of themselves on the pitch. And because ultimately you can't really succeed as a football club unless you play good football and you win things. And it's interesting to see like their transfer policy, their recruitment, as well as the way that they kind of go about playing their brand of football and the whole kind of branding of uh, Mia San Mia, which is Bavarian for this is who we are. And interestingly, prior to us starting this podcast, they actually posted on Instagram, uh, Mia San Champions, and Mm -hmm. just kind of celebrating this, you know, second, I believe it's their second ever treble, the first being under U Pikes. It's brilliant. Uh, hats off to them but one thing I will want to highlight towards the latter stages of the first half there was a big shout for a penalty uh, did, did, did you guys know the one I'm talking about of course the one that was like clear cut yes the one where uh, he was being pulled back on his shoulder whilst cutting across the man into the box uh, yeah it was Kingsley Coman I don't know if it was a pen, to be honest, because like he's he's taking a sharp turn, and you could see him already stumbling over. Because when you're going at that fast and you're trying to like stop the ball and like turn at that kind of angle, he was already tumbling over. So there was a touch, but for me, it's too soft. I mean, 
a more clear-cut pen, I would say, maybe, is the one on Mbappe in the second half. Yeah. Late. The Mbappe one was a definite penalty. I don't know why they didn't yeah. review that. I think, I think the, ruling, the ruling for the Mbappe one is, firstly, it wasn't a clear goal-scoring opportunity, and he was facing away from the goal. And secondly, they didn't believe he had full control of the ball to warrant that it was a foul that would guarantee a penalty. Yeah, but it wasn't even checked. I mean, the, the yeah. I saw the ref like literally squat down and like watch that incident happen. Like he had a very good view of that, but it should I, have at least been checked. I think, right? I think, I think mm-hmm. what happened was he saw the toe of the tackling player poke the ball out of the way, but in the path to hitting the ball, his foot struck the back of Mbappe's ankle, uh, which is so the he, foul. He doesn't actually make. If you watch the slow mo replay, they showed he doesn't make any contact with the ball. It's actually mm. Mbappe's foot that makes the contact. Is it Mbappe? Interesting. Yeah. That, but, that, um, that, you, that is significant. Exactly. But if you take it back to the um, the Coman penalty, sorry, the Coman penalty shot in the first first half, the um, the thing that I no- sort of noted about that one is that the tackle is made, uh, or the contact rather, is made with the defensive player's standing foot. So there's no way that he has con- control over standing foot because it's planted his body weight is on it yeah so that's why i thought that it couldn't have it couldn't have been a penalty because it, kingsley command basically falls over the standing foot of the opposition player and that is very antithetical to what happened in the second half with yeah different with Mbappe, diff- different different, different, different shouts yeah absolutely yeah. well and what did you have to say about that jeed you, uh, you were trying to make a point yeah. earlier uh, for me, there were both penalties. Uh, just looking at them, when the Bayern one came on, I said that that I'm surprised I didn't even review that. Uh, and definitely the kick on Mbappe seemed like a penalty to me. I mean, it was very similar to the Koulibaly Messi uh, penalty. Definitely, but the only mm-hmm. thing about the one, the first one that wasn't given, I think if that occurs anywhere uh, else on the pitch, it's probably going to be given as a foul, is it not? I mean, yeah, tonight, yeah, tonight everything was given as a foul. <laughs> What do you reckon, Jeed? Yeah, no, 100%. That would be a foul, and for me, that was a penalty. It looked like a clear penalty to me. And it could have changed the game entirely. If Paris, uh, Paris conceded earlier, they could have maybe come out of the blocks earlier, or if did Paris even get their penalty. The way PSG were shooting at goal, it could have been saved. <laughs> <laughs> the best performance is probably Neymar's tears after the full-time whistle. Honestly, he should leave, I think. Where would he go? Uh, I mean, the, the way the market is looking, the, the prices and everything else, and even his record transfer for around about $222 million from Barcelona, it's very unlikely that any club will match those wages, let alone play, pay, the, pay out his contract. And, you know, I don't see anyone doing it. I don't think Barcelona are in a position as well. No, because they sacked Eric Abadal, didn't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they have no one to do that kind of negotiation with now. So, I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Neymar is overrated. Honestly, I think he is one of the most overrated footballers right now. Brazilian Jack Grealish. I'm not gonna say he's bad. (laughs) He's not bad, but Neymar is definitely overrated. I mean, almost every single one of his passes today were just. I mean, I could have made better passes than those. He was terrible. But would you have made those passes against Bayern Munich? Uh, honestly, Bayern Munich's defense was very vulnerable. And you could tell, like, they look at the mistakes they made out back. If that yeah. was, you know, any kind of, uh, if that was even Barca, as they are now, if they made those kind of mistakes, 
and Barca had a decent defense, I think they would have they would have scored these chances. But I mean, no. was, it Alaba, was it Alaba that just like passed it to Mbappe in the first half at the edge of the box? Yeah, he gave it away exactly. cheaply a couple of times. He just literally passed it. Imagine that was Messi there. That's a goal. But the thing is, but the thing is though, this this Bayern side, they didn't really change their tactical setup and they left a lot of space in behind. But what kept bailing them out was maybe the pace, awareness, and technical ability of their fullbacks. But the main kind of contributing factor, I have to say, is Manuel Neuer. What a goalkeeper. Because you can only play with that much of a high line when you have a goalkeeper who is as confident coming off his line, closing down angles and spaces, and spreading himself as big as Manuel Neuer did tonight. And his experience now at the age of 33 really shined and showed for Bayern Munich. What, what, what did you guys make of his goalkeeping performance? Fantastic, honestly. He looked huge. Couldn't see the goal. He is, <laughs> he is massive, yeah. <laughs> there was one point where there was a brilliant crossfield pass. And you're thinking, oh my God, Mbappe's onto it. And like 40 yards out from goal, Manuel Neuer's there and he just picks it up. Yeah. It's classic Neuer. It was a classic Neuer performance. Yeah, that's, that's a good shout. And uh, unfortunately, there won't be a Ballon d'Or ceremony this season. But I think Robert Lewandowski, despite not scoring in the final, uh, amassed a tally of 14 goals in the Champions League. Many people kind of shouting for it to be uh, reinstated and the Ballon d'Or be held for this season and probably tipping Lewandowski to be the winner. I don't see how anyone else could take it. I mean, if it was going on this year, I don't see any player who has been as consistent, as, you know, fiery on, in front of goal as uh, Lewandowski, to be honest. Gents, your thoughts? Should the Ballon d'Or probably be reinstated and held for this season? I mean, if we can have live matches on TV, if we can have press conferences over Zoom, like, I don't see why not. We can still dress up, you know? have Messi and Ronaldo and they're like maroon and navy blazers yeah why not man just have a big screen on the back with a bunch of Arabs on it right just in their tobes <laughs> yeah yeah let's host around Ballon d'Or next episode how about that <laughs> brilliant brilliant conclusion to the 2019-20 season with Sevilla as Europa League champions and Bayern Munich winning the treble as well as their sixth record Champions League triumph uh, moving on, I think, Siba, you wanted to give us a little breakdown on what's going on on the transfer front. Uh, I mean, yeah, speaking of this game, or this final, so a couple of players on the pitch tonight uh, are playing their last game, or played their last game uh, for their respective teams. Uh, most notably, Thiago at Bayern has been linked with a move to Liverpool, whereas another Thiago, Silva, from PSG, is being tipped <laughs> to move to Chelsea. See what I did there? <laughs> Very nice. You clever boy. I had to. Yeah, I mean, both, like, I, I, I'd say, I mean, yes, Silva is on the wrong side of 30, but still showing that he is well-experienced and could prove uh, a good um, tutor to any of the young centre-backs uh, at Chelsea. Um, maybe <laughs> tomorrow or something. What, uh, for the GCSEs or? <laughs> A-levels, mate. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I think I think with Thiago Silva at 35, uh, we all know what he can do. The experience he brings, the uh, the, the kind of leadership, uh, how he commands his space and and his fellow defenders, his line. 
but he definitely would need a pacey, energetic, and equally uh, technically skilled partner uh, in order to shine, I think, in the Premier League. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole different challenge to anything he would face domestically in France, I feel. Very much a tale of two Tiagos tonight, huh, boys? Am I right? <laughs> I mean, uh, Silva, Silva's on a free, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, Alcantara is being quoted at, I think, 27 million, if I'm not mistaken. Steal. Um, I'm hearing that might not happen, um, that Liverpool are no longer interested, but I don't know where I read that. I heard he's been uh, in the Arsenal as well, but I doubt that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal, Arsenal. Yeah, it's always funny when we look to the players and we get them in the end, huh? What, like Gabriel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, apparently, that is done, actually. Nice segue. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently, it's been confirmed uh, for Bitsy Romano with uh, Here We Go. Uh, Gabriel should be announced <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> Why? What's so funny? No, it's just... It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. You need, you need the sense of half for sure. Uh, I, I mean, okay, let's be honest. Let's be, let's be honest, right? So, like... All the clubs have been linked with them, mainly like United uh, and Arsenal. We came uh, in late with our bid, but it's been Arsenal and Napoli, I think, most of the way. I mean, my, my, the point I want to make is like all these fans hyping him up. I don't think they've actually seen him play or like know if he's actually that good. Because yeah. I've heard like he's he's very raw in terms of potential and talent. Like um, he definitely would need a experienced center back next to him. So, I mean, I know Arsenal fans next season or this coming season are expecting, like, young Saliba at 19 years old to start next to uh, a Gabriel, but um, it's more probable that Arteta will play Luis with either side of them if they're playing in a four at the back. If it were a three, then yes, you could expect to see Luis, Gabriel, and, and Saliba. Right. Granted, they all stay fit. Yeah. Yeah, that's also another thing. Um Trying to get business done early. What more can I say? Arteta is just trying to make a Brazilian tribute band at Arsenal, isn't he? Uh, yeah, there is a Brazilian core seeming to, to shape up. Uh, we've got uh, two Gabriels now, uh, <laughs> myself included. Uh, Luis. Did they, did they get numbered? Yeah, Gabby 1. Gabriel Gabby 1 two. and Gabriel 2. <laughs> but no Gabby, Ga- no Gabby goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess there'll be a Gabriel and Gabby. I guess that's what I'd go with. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's it's nice it's nice to see you know uh, the experience of William coming in and the the raw kind of ball playing and rough and tough uh, center half play of Gabriel. I think they're definitely good signings and and it's it's perhaps a sign of more things to come for Arteta's reign at Arsenal because you know despite like we mentioned uh, much earlier on on the podcast, uh, despite only being in the job for around about seven months. Going through what he has done personally on and off the off the pitch, uh, he's done rather well, winning the FA Cup, and you know, it it will be interesting to see what what kind of transfer business they can conclude uh, elsewhere. Here, the story that's on uh, all of Britain's screens and front and back pages, as well as the banter memes of the footballing community, <laughs> a Manchester United captain. <laughs> <laughs> the Manchester United captain and centre half, record eighty million pound, most expensive defender uh, in British transfer history. I think in world transfer history, Harry Maguire arrested in Mykonos, Greece. Uh, Ray, as a as the other United fan on the pod tonight, uh, I'd love to hear your insight on this. 
it's it's just a mad one, isn't it? It's like what a week since they he went on holiday and he's just. I mean, as United fans, I'm sure Z, both you and I have been following this closely from the the, the inception of the story to the way it's developed over the last few days, and now it's looking like it's being it's being spun into like this whole other thing. Um, oh God, I just don't know. It sounds like obviously a bunch of lads were having a go at him, and he didn't do anything. But then someone hit his sister with a, a quote unquote sharp object. Mm-hmm. I heard she was stabbed. Yeah, yeah. So report they say she stabbing. got stabbed, but like not. But they don't say what with. So it wasn't with a knife, clearly, and it likely wasn't a bottle either. But I don't know. Her sister's not in hospital or anything, and he's in jail. So um, I don't know. And but yeah, the funny story, the funny part of the story is that he didn't actually hit anyone. It's just it took like five or six policemen to restrain him, and they couldn't. And uh, that's the battery charge. It goes. No, the, the battery him. charge was later on when they got to the jail. That's when they resisted again, and he did hit a couple of police officers. It's funny how it takes that many police officers to contain him when it just takes, you know, one pass from Ocampos to get past him. <laughs> oh, shots fired, Jeed. I love it. I love it. I'm digging Jeed, it. Jeed, see the difference is he could see the policeman, whereas he definitely couldn't see any difference. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the memes have absolutely been hilarious, but I think uh, on a more serious, uh, serious matter, uh, it was definitely a case of him holidaying in a place where he probably shouldn't have. As a footballer, you know, you have uh, all the access, all the money and all the kind of means uh, to travel and relax and unwind and kind of recharge anywhere in the world, especially at the level that he is now playing at. Perhaps it was a little bit of a Leicester player finding himself in a Man United situation that he couldn't quite uh, control himself in. I've heard different rumors like about the bribery, about beating up the, the cops and stuff. But I've also heard that the Greek media, or at least like there's not really any, aren't any court media, like they don't really report on these kind of court cases. Right. And I, and I think as a result, what we're seeing is just British tabloids putting any spin on it they can. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you're hearing a lot of conflicting like rumors or ideas. Like we don't know what he's been charged with himself, you know, because he was with a group of people, some who might have actually committed the charges that are rumored to be against him, you know. So uh, you guys have to wait and see what happens. But I, I hope he gets out for your sake. He's already out, actually. He's he's been in England since yesterday. Oh, okay. He's yeah, yeah. Oh, so he's back. He's been back. He 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 spent a second night in Sinos, uh, in another jail there, and then his Mm -hmm. entourage and his uh, attorney, and I believe a couple of representatives from the club, uh, went over, and then they flew him and his girlfriend and sister back to England. Uh, But he will have to appear before court again. The the first day in court, he pled uh, completely innocent. Uh, He was not guilty. And so they're going to have another further hearing as they investigate. But... It looks like Man United will probably be backing him up through the process. And I mean, it's not the first time we've had a Manchester United captain arrested. I don't know if you remember, Rashik, in 1999 when Kino was arrested for kicking a girl in a pub. <laughs> wonderful. Just a wonderful time in the history of the club. I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, yeah. Trouble um, winners. Yeah, trouble winners. And of course, famously, the Cantona incident. 
Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> when I kicked that dude. Yeah. Why, why wasn't Carragher arrested, man, for spitting at that girl? Oh yeah. Oh, that was dumb, though, man. That was like that was that was so recent. That was what last year. No, yeah, pretty, it was. It was it's so quickly forgotten. Now, he, now he's a pundit on CBS Sports in the United States. Bloody hell! I mean, he was a Sky Sports pundit then. He's well, he's, no? he's back he at Sky Sports. He's still at Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. didn't like. Basically, there were no repercussions for him spitting at a person, well, like, except for the reprimanding. Yeah, Sky like had. Uh, one of their female anchors just literally rip into him for 10 minutes on live TV. That was great. I enjoyed that. That was, that was back when uh, Liverpool, that was the best Liverpool performance you'd see prior to your <laughs> revolution taking place. But, um, you know, things that I've heard regarding the Maguire incident were the, it was a group of British football fans who were opposition fans. So they, they were basically, you know, mocking him, singing songs about the uh, Munich air disaster uh, called uh, called him and United shit. They started harassing a few girls, and when it became personal, a lo- well, a lot more personal than the regular kind of banter and and uh, rollickings you get as a footballer. When they targeted his sister, that was when he stepped in. Things escalated, and uh, him and a couple of his mates got physical. And plain clothed police officers were there, who then intervened. And as they were trying to apprehend him, they had no idea that they were police officers, and. Magar was literally swinging and it took about, yeah, like you mentioned, five police officers to bring him down. And then once they apprehended them, took them to jail and, you know, further action ensued. And that was when things calmed down and the news broke out. But a lot of eyewitness reports are saying that, you know, Magar was just going about his holidays and the abuse escalated. And it was very late. It was well after midnight when it all happened. You know, G G G did have a point about um his defensive play and his uh, bar play. Maybe we should maybe we should fill him up with Jaeger bombs before games. <laughs> maybe that'll help. It'll just be interesting to see, like uh, you know, he gets to keep his captaincy and how Solskjaer responds to it because the club have just made a very kind of professional and uh, respectful ad- address to the whole incident. So yeah. Like like Sibba mentioned earlier, we'll just have to wait and see what how it all unfolds. Hey, if he comes back and plays like Roy Keane, I'm I'm in. <laughs> There's only one Keno. <laughs> Sibba, you've gone awfully quiet. No David Louis in the news. <laughs> no, no. I I've heard enough, man. I'm sick of the story already. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know if this story broke outside of Scotland, but um one of the players from Celtic Football Club, he um <laughs> So he basically felt like he was missing his family in the Canary Islands. And he literally left, flew to the Canaries, and then came back like later that same day, unbeknownst to the club and to the like immigration officers. And so he and then he played a game that weekend, having not quarantined. So that's like the state of affairs in the UK right now. <laughs> So who knows what's happening? Yeah, I don't know how they're doing transfers either because like there's not much time in the window to have these like two week quarantines when players are moving clubs, especially internationally. I think the pro players can get tested though, can't they? I mean, aren't they regularly tested anyway? So I imagine there's some kind of like loophole or um like they're applying for some kind of exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. 
I think yeah. I assume they get they it, they're not getting tested through the NHS. They get tested privately, so they they can do whatever they want really. I mean, we also had seven players, seven players from the Aberdeen squad go on a like a pub crawl, and then the entire squad then got COVID. Fucking hell! Oh my god! So they've like they've that's whole the Scottish Premier League is basically kind of just messed up as a result of all of that. I mean, it was messed up before the pandemic, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and there's all there's all this drama with um I don't I don't know if you guys are familiar with um uh, obviously the big two big rivals in Scotland are Rangers and Celtic, and Rangers kit sponsor this year are a tennis brand called Castor. I think maybe you like um, Jamie Murray or uh, Andy Murray's tennis brand, and they have no connection to football whatsoever. So the kits they've designed are like poorly sourced. The quality is off. Some of the sweaters that they're selling for like premium prices are actually five, ten pound like school sweaters. So they have the children's name tag on them and stuff. What? Wow. It is just a farce. Oh my God. It's so bad. Yeah. So everything is kind of just trash. Yeah. <laughs> when you think when you think things are bad at your top six football club in the Premier League, just it could be worse. It could be worse. But um, yeah, it was. It's been it's been a great uh, conversation. Lovely as always, chatting with you guys about football. And uh, yeah, we just concluded the 2019-20 season, one that was full of incident, a lot of drama as always, but also a pandemic that no one ever expected. Uh, we went into lockdown. We resumed football again, and we ended with. Sevilla as Europa League champions again for the sixth time, as well as Bayern Munich clinching a treble and their own sixth Champions League triumph. Uh, it was great having you boys on. Ray, Jeed, as always, Siba, who's been a little shyer than usual. I'm still here. A pleasure. A pleasure. That was great. What was that, what was that Siba? I said I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid. But... Um, <laughs> Like we, like we mentioned earlier, you can find both uh, Ray and Jeed on social media where they post uh, about football as well as their own personal lives. Uh, Ray is also in a band based out of Scotland, if any of you are interested in following up on them. Uh, Jeed is on Instagram at Jeed90, as well as Twitter at Jeed Says. And Ray can be found on both Instagram and Twitter at N underscore Ray underscore, and that's N-E-N underscore r-a-y underscore and you can of course find the armchair managers podcast on instagram at armchair managers and we're also on twitter at ac underscore managers we'll be back again uh, with more transfer news as the world of football prepares for another exciting season ahead in the next three weeks great having you guys on thank you guys so much see you next season ciao thank you